welcome to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. We will explore God's Word to learn how we can live by God's grace and for His glory. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Here's your host, Noah Hooper. Welcome back to another edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. I just want to begin by this week's episode by thanking you for tuning in and listening to this podcast on a weekly basis. I think it's incredible that anyone would listen to me sit at a mic and record and talk about Scripture, so I'm thankful for anyone who would listen to this podcast. This week, I want to kind of take a detour from our study in Genesis and look at Genesis 1-3 through in light of the whole Bible. We've been looking at these chapters over the last few weeks, and before we travel on, I wanted to take flight from the ground level and look at these chapters from more of a 20,000-foot view. Instead of looking at a specific passage in Genesis this week, I kind of want to show you how it relates to the whole of Scripture. And herein lies an important truth for you and I to know as we study God's Word. Every single word, sentence, verse, paragraph, chapter, and book are written within the greater biblical context. It's important not to look at any verse paragraph, or book without considering the overarching narrative of God's Word. As it has been well pointed out before, you cannot miss the forest by staring at the trees. And this is especially true in Genesis 1-3 through because events happen in these chapters that have earth-shattering ramifications upon the rest of biblical and human history. There are truths revealed in these chapters that set a precedent about who God is and how God works. There are implications that remain true throughout history because of what happened in Eden. These first few chapters of God's Word are so crucial to the entire biblical narrative. They connect really to the whole of Scripture. Now, I love diving into a verse and just seeking to define this word and see how this means and how this word relates to this word, but it's also important to kind of come away and take more of a telescopic view to God's Word as a whole instead of just looking through a microscope at one verse, at one word, in one passage. So that's what I want to do this week. I want to look at Genesis 1-3 through in light of the whole Bible and see how it connects to all of Scripture. And the first way we're going to see this is in general revelation, that creation anthems the glory of God. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's creative work. And what is the overarching purpose of God's created work? Why did God give us roaring rivers, delicate roses, and daunting mountains? What is the end of all this? If you need a commentary on that, you need to look no farther than Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, wherein the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone all out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Psalm 19 in the first few verses proclaim that creation declares God's glory and it is evident in all the earth. There is not one 
square inch of grass on the earth wherein God's glory is not declared. Psalm 8 and verse 1 that says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. God's name is excellent in all the earth because creation declares the glory of God in all the earth. Whether someone has a Bible or not, they can see the book of creation and that it declares that there is a God in heaven. In the words of Thomas Watson, he said, The creation is the heathen man's Bible, the plowman's primer, and the traveler's perspective glass through which he receives a representation of the infinite excellencies which are in God. That is the role of creation. It directs every man's heart to the God who made it all. Now, how men interpret what it declares is often very different from its original purpose. Many read the book of creation and worship the world. Many read creation and see what it declares and worship man. However, God intended for men to look at His work, at the mountains, at the seas, at the rivers, at the at the trees, at all of this beauty and glory and worship Him. Creation declares the glory of God. However, this leads us to our next truth we see in Genesis 1-3 through and how it connects to the rest of the Scripture, not only in how God is revealed generally in creation, but how God is revealed specifically in His Word. In studying these chapters, we notice that God did not just create Adam and leave him in the world to behold his glory in creation. If he simply set the world in order and let man behold his glory, he would be nothing more than the impersonal God of the deist, who simply created everything and then let it go. That's not what God did. Though creation reveals the glory of God, we need something more specific to see who God really is. And God has always revealed himself more specifically in his word. You see, God does not just want people to know that he exists by the created world declaring that, but God wants people to know who he is by his spoken word. You see, the impersonal God of the deist who simply said everything in order, that is not the God of the Bible. He is not an absent God, but a present God. And he is a present God who reveals himself through his word. In the first three chapters of Genesis 1-3, through God speaks at least 18 times. He spoke to bring the world into existence in the council for creating man. He told Adam that he had given him the herbs, the trees, and the animals of the earth. He spoke to Adam about the trees in the garden and what he was not to do. He spoke to Adam and even told him to be fruitful and multiply. He spoke about the importance of man not being alone. He also spoke multiple times after the fall occurred. God is a speaking God. This is a truth that is established in Genesis 1-3 through and it is echoed throughout the entirety of Scripture. He reveals His glory in creation. It is one of the greatest books ever written. However, the clearest revelation of God is in the Word of God. This is how he worked in Genesis 1-3 through and how he operates through all of Scripture and how he operates today. God spoke to individuals, the nation Israel, the apostles, and now he speaks to his people through his word. God is a God who speaks and he speaks in his word, the Bible. And isn't this marvelous? We don't have to wonder about who God is or what he thinks. Instead, we can know who God truly is 
we can see who God is insofar as He has revealed Himself. God has shown us who He is because God is a speaking God. And He speaks to us through His Word. So Genesis 1 and 2, they establish a couple of truths about God and how He reveals Himself and how this remains true throughout the Bible, and it is true today. Creation declares there is a God. And then God speaks to say, this is who I am. So it teaches some truth about who God is, but also about who man is. It establishes that man is created in the image of God. Genesis 1 and 26 and 27 reveal the most fundamental reality about human beings. Every human being is created in God's image. It doesn't matter whether a person is white or black. It doesn't matter whether they are physically athletic or disabled. It doesn't matter whether they are male or female. It doesn't matter whether they are from America, Ukraine, Zimbabwe, or Australia. Every human being is created in the image of God. Now, I examined this more fully in episode 84, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that, but I wanted to emphasize this again here. That that is a crucial truth that is established in Genesis 1-3 through that we need to know today. And that is that every human being is made in the image of God. And although man is made in the image of God, this has been marred because of what happened in Genesis 3. Which leads us to our next crucial truth, and that is about sin. The doctrine of original sin that began in the Garden of Eden. Perhaps the most crucial event of Genesis 1-3 through is the fall in Genesis 3. And it is crucial to this end, that when Adam and Eve sinned, it did not only affect them. Their rebellion against God's will for them was not localized, but universal. It was not for that time alone, but for all human beings born thereafter. This is what has been called the doctrine of original sin. That sin began with Adam and that every human being born thereafter is born a sinner because Adam sinned in the garden, which is revealed in Romans 5. In verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And then later on it says in verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Adam is the federal head of the human race. Every man or woman besides Jesus Christ was born in Adam. And because of that, his sin did not just affect him, but every person born thereafter. Romans 5 and verse 12 teaches that by one man, sin entered in the world. Before Adam and Eve partook of the fruit in the garden, there was not sin in the world. And it was by him that sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, there was now death in the world. Do you remember what God said to them? That if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. 
Now, Adam and Eve did not physically die that day, but their bodies began decaying because they spiritually died that day when they rebelled against God. And this death, it is not just physical, though it is, it is also spiritual. And because of Adam's sin, death passed into the world, and it is because of sin. So then every human being is born a sinner. We are not born with the choice Adam had in the garden. And I think that's important to remember. Adam was innocent. Adam had a choice. He could choose to eat of the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he chose to rebel against God. And his sin did not just affect him. It did not just affect Eve. It did not just affect the ground and time then. But that sin in the garden affected the rest of the human race so that now every person that is born in the world, as David said in Psalm 51, we are shapen in iniquity. We are not just born, we are not born innocent. We are born sinners. And because we are born sinners, we are born separated from God. And that is because of the sin in the garden is because of what Adam did in the garden. You and I are born as sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Now, we do not live this life and are guilty before God just because of that. But we, because we are sinners, we sin and therefore we are guilty before God. So Genesis 1-3 through establishes the reality of sin. And that it entered the world because of Adam's sin, but that is not the end of the story. So perhaps the most crucial event of Genesis 1-3 through is that sin entered into the world. But the most precious promise of Genesis 1-3 through is that a Savior would come. In Genesis 3-15, the Bible gives us the promise that a Savior would come who would not fail the test. He would crush the serpent's head. Though Adam failed in the garden, there was one coming that would not fail. And his name is Jesus. And I love, I love how that promise comes. It is not when Adam and Eve have done good. It is not when they've said the right things and done the right things. It is after they have literally literally condemned every human being born thereafter to be born separated from God. This was universal ramifications. And it is into that instance that God brings the promise a Savior would come, and that is when God always brings good news. It is always after we have made a mess of everything that God brings the good news, not to us that a Savior is coming, but that a Savior has come. And that promise marches on throughout all of Scripture until Jesus comes and He lives the sinless life, dies the substitutionary death, and rises in triumphant victory. But it began in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned and God said, a Savior is coming, and by the way, their sin did not catch him by surprise. The Bible teaches that before the foundation of the world, God already had the plan that a Savior would come because he knew they would make a mess of it all. But he said, I am a Redeemer. And he sent the Savior 
into the world. And that thread continues throughout all of Scripture. The Old Testament, it is ultimately all pointing to Jesus. That is what the book of Hebrews teaches. That all of the sacrificial systems, the law, all of it, it was pointing to Jesus. And that is one way that Genesis 1-3 through connects through all of Scripture. It points to Jesus. And one last thing I wanted to point out is not just that it reveals truth about God and that it reveals truth about man and that it points to the Lord Jesus, but that it also it points to life after the fall. If you remember a couple of episodes ago, I spent two weeks looking at life before the fall. And as we conclude this episode, I want to remind you that Genesis 1-3 through 3 reminds us that there is coming a day of life after the fall. Revelation 21 says that He will make all things new. The world we live in now is fallen and groaning for redemption. You and I live in bodies now that are decaying and dying, but there is coming a day when God will make all things new. And it is because life didn't end in Genesis 3. But God said, I will send a Savior. And there will be a day coming when I will make all things new. Yes, a royal mess has been made. All of it has been messed up by man. But God says, I will come. And I will redeem. And I will make all things new. So next time as you read Genesis 1-3, through 3, I hope that you will consider this. And remember that it doesn't just connect to Genesis 4 and 5 and 6 and so on, but that what happens in these passages teach us truth that remains throughout all of biblical and human history. That God is a God who reveals Himself in creation, reveals Himself in His Word, that man is made in the image of God, and that sin entered into the world because of Adam's sin, but that a Savior is coming, and that one day God will make all things new. So that is a few ways of how Genesis 1-3 through connects to the whole Bible. There are many more things that could be said and truths echoed, but I just wanted to point out a few ways to you today. So thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you will consider subscribing and leaving a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. So I hope you will join me next week on the next edition of the Taught by Grace podcast.